0: It's time for Running Building, the game, the, building the, game, the game, with Jason, with Jason and Friends, for Tabletop game, Games is on the, the fun friends. it's at the end of the episode, that's
1: when it technically ends.
0: Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, August 29th, and you're listening episode 525. As always, I am your host, Jason, here today joined by longtime listener, first-time caller, just getting co-host... Julio Nussadio, hey Julio, what's up?
1: Hey Jason, doing good, doing good. A uh, little, little tired, a little tired. But why? is
0: you know, that? I can't I... imagine why you're tired.
1: <laughs> well, for the builders out there that know, um, my wife and I had a baby a little over a month ago. Uh, this is our Congrats. second in less than two years. I know we're <laughs> a little crazy, uh, but it has been uh, quite a trip, and it's been, you know, obviously worth it. Uh, she was a healthy baby girl. Her name is Emilia. Um, awesome. She was almost 10 pounds and you know, Whoa. natural birth, too. So my wife's, you know, she's uh, 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 awesome, yeah. to say the least. Um, and but, you know, uh, now that it's been a month, kind of getting back into, you know, the, the hustle that is designing and all the things related to it.
0: Can't keep you away from it, I know. Can't keep you down.
1: <laughs> that is that, that is true, again. It is my fun time, so I, I right, definitely right. want to make sure to keep some of my sanity.
0: So I'm assuming next week we'll see you at Grand Con this weekend, right? Just be coming up there.
1: <laughs> nope.
0: <laughs> no, I know, I know. You said that you were done with conventions for the rest of the year.
1: Um, uh, you know, um I did say that, but I am thinking of <laughs> PAX Unplugged as, as you know, something that I, I think it can happen because usually we go to Puerto Rico um, sometime during the year. But, you know, traveling with, with a toddler and a baby is probably not going to be a fun experience. Um, right, right, right. So we're going to, you know, stay, you know, and have Christmas here and, you know, spend time with some of our friends. But, you know, that means that I may be able to travel during December, early December. So, mm,
0: pack packs you know, plug, yeah. Maybe,
1: maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. We'll see.
0: Yeah, that's fair um that is what i thought about but I'll, I'll probably we'll probably wait till next year i keep saying i'll wait till next year thinking next year will be better
1: uh <laughs> fingers <laughs> crossed um, um i mean that i went to pax unplugged last year um and you know it was great so uh, i think it is one that has definitely taken over as one of my favorites you know with origins I've i guess i haven't been to origins since pre-pandemic but Origins, obviously one of my favorites and mm-hmm. you know as, at least when it comes to consumer conventions GenCon yeah, uh, gen yeah. con obviously will, is the biggest but you know it's, it's a little too crazy um gen
0: con's there to be fun and stuff I mean I, I don't I don't try to do a ton of work at gen con I try to have a lot of fun at gen con and see a lot of people usually I just feel like it's a little that's a little easier at that con than a lot of others because it's just so much you know
1: yeah I'm yeah, not opposed
0: to meeting but
1: yeah if I'm making the trip to Gen Con I, I gotta make sure to take advantage of it you know well, I it's guess.
0: I mean for me it's a it's a short short drive down yeah. south so <laughs> it's a little different
1: I get um, it but what's been going on with you?
0: Yeah, so I'm uh you know recovered from Gen Con, um, did not get sick, which was great. Uh, awesome. I'm getting ready for uh, Grand Con this weekend um, which will be a bit of a culture shock. So that one's 45 minutes north of me in Grand Rapids. it's a nice quick easy trip. Uh, once again, again going up with Kelly Hoagland and staying with him, uh, we found an Airbnb literally across the street from the convention wow. uh, for cheaper than any hotel we could find, which is pretty <laughs> awesome. And it's a super nice Airbnb. It's like a one bedroom. So one of us will just ride the couch. And... Fake. Yeah, no, uh, it's, it's not. But it does kind of sound like it. I'm not going to I'm not going to lie. Uh, but anyways, um, if it is, they did a lot of really good fake reviews for it. <laughs> But so yeah, so I'm excited for that. But it'll be a bit of a culture shock in the fact that like they have no requirements whatsoever. Mm. Um, so I'm a little on edge about that. I'm not. Um, so this would be the first convention I went to, or I'm going to with with no requirements. Though it is interesting. Uh, this is what I'm going to be really interested to see. So I'm putting this out there ahead of time, uh, and then we're going to do a recap episode. You'll probably hear in two weeks uh, with some people who are at the con and uh we'll talk about it but i it's so i happened to notice when i was buying my ticket today um (laughs) for this weekend or for next weekend um so what i noticed was that i knew there were no masks required but it specifically states um that we request that everyone wears masks um but it's not a requirement so like it's (laughs) interesting to me because they're they're like So here's the deal: people, guests aren't going to wear masks, other than the ones who are serious about it. Um, But I'll be really interested to see whether or not the workers and the people that run the show are, you know, masked up, trying to lead by example, right? Because I mean, they're saying we're, you know, we're requesting, we're asking you to do it. So I'll be interested to see. I hope my hopes, honestly, aren't very high for that. But I would love to be wrong, and I will say that I was wrong uh, when we record that episode, if that were the case. Um, So. So, anyways, um, the the biggest best thing for it is it's a huge open space where they have the con, and it's not like there's tons of people there. I mean, let's be honest, it's a it's a pretty small con. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. Okay.
1: Well, I, mean, I I I wish you have a, a lot of fun, and and it's a it's a good one. I know you always enjoy, it and I always been you know obviously wanting to to go to that one as well. So, it's a good one. It's know. a good
0: one. Yeah. And there's usually some publishers there, um, and it's it's easy to sit down and chat with them because. You know, again, they don't have like packed schedules, so um, I'm most yeah. excited um, because I haven't seen Banana Chan in forever, um, and Banana will be there, uh, so that'll be great because we're going to get to hang awesome. out. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, we still have one co-design that we're trying to get out to people, so maybe we'll find some publishers there to uh, show it to them and force them to to play it. <laughs> we'll see.
1: Cool. Cool. Well, what
0: about with you? I, Other than the baby thing, anything else game wise going on currently? Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: I mean, yes. Uh, it's been a month since the baby, uh, but you know, I get some parental leave, which I've been using on and off. I've been getting back to you know my my uh, daytime work, uh, but also I kind of been using some time to pitch and reach out to publishers, essentially. I, you know, I went to the, to the basics, to the base of, you know, I went to the Cardboard Edison compendium and, and, you know, doing that today too. Uh, you know, the Sensleys, they, they're on it. They've been updating that compendium uh, like monthly, it seems like almost, and there's a lot of publishers in there that I had never been in contact with, especially European publishers. And, Mm -hmm. and honestly, I feel like, I never really focus on European publishers. Like I pitch, you know, to a couple, but uh, I mainly been focusing on, on, you know, the U.S. So I, I started, you know, reaching out to different publishers or, uh, you know, Europe and and all that. And I've got some interest, and I've been sending some prototypes. I've done some pitches, and you know, I've got some rejections uh, as well. Um, mm-hmm and you know and we'll see what happens there um i did have a, a pitch with one of my co-designs with with eric lang that went really well uh and we're really excited so we may hear something about that this week or next week awesome um, so that's that's exciting um and of course um uh dulce my my next game coming out from stronghold games mm-hmm. uh, has a release date uh that's going to be september uh 9th um and it they had a couple of copies at gen con which mm-hmm. they sold out the first day um you know it was i don't know maybe 60 or something copies uh so you know that was obviously exciting to see and you know obviously i missed it because i wasn't there but uh you know for those you know you can't see the video but i'm showing jason i have designer it's very copies. Nice Yes, it's the, it's the, the form factor is is really nice. It's it's sleek uh to mm-hmm. to say the the least and and I'm very you know very proud of this design. Um I guess is I signed it twin 2019 maybe I think. Yeah, I think so. So it, it didn't really take too long um but uh it's not with the
0: last know. 3 years and what they've been. No, so
1: yeah, yeah, I guess you know they focused on on their existing IP when during the pandemic, and and then they went on to to their uh, other games. So we'll see how how well it does. It's already been getting some you know how to play videos and stuff, and a couple of, you know with a couple copies out there. Um, so so that's that's really cool. Um, but mainly personally on all my designs, I haven't designed anything new. I've essentially decided that this year you know, having a 19-month-old right now and a month old, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, I was going to focus on development of my existing designs that I know um, are good or great but can be better, or even um, ones that are shelved that I've had some new ideas because right, you know, I was right. always kind of, okay, let's go to the next one, the next one, and this one's good enough, and but let's go to the next one. But at this point, I feel like um, I have – a lot of good experience under my belt uh, and I can make a lot of my games better because at some point, you know, you're pitching and pitching. And if there nothing happens, then, then something's wrong. It's not your, it's not them. Right, it's, right. it's you. Right. Right. Uh, right. Right. In this, in this case, your, your game. <laughs> um, so it, it's been, it's been a certainly a brush of fresh air. I haven't had a lot of time to test. I, you know, I did have, I, have had family helping out in in town and, and I've been playing some with them and, and that's been good, but you know, there's definitely some progress on at least, you know, four or five games that I've been kind of doing some changes here and there. So that's been good.
0: That's great to hear. That's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's always a time to consider just going back and looking at some of the things you've done and saying like what, you know, I mean, kind of clearing off your plate and trying to move forward with some of those instead of just, uh, Instead of just, you know, working on new stuff. Yeah, I know. I've I've had to learn that lesson a few times where I've just like barreled on a new stuff and been like, oh, wait, what about this? Like, why didn't I do more with this, you know?
1: Yeah, it's obviously, you know, we get excited about the newest thing. And mm-hmm. and, and I know a lot of, you know, builders out there are, are kind of the same, right? You know, you're more excited about the shiny new thing and can't and have a difficult time finishing existing projects. Uh, which exactly it's right. not the fun part, right? You know, having to deal with changing rules and doing testing over and over and over, and, and you feel like, man, is this going forward? Or is it going backwards? So, um, but but you know, it's it's part of it, and ultimately, I I do believe in in a lot of my games that can be better, and and that's what mm-hmm. I'm trying to do. Well,
0: and I think too, like, um, you know, sometimes like you mentioned, you know, you pitch a game a few times, and then. You know, nothing happens with it. And, and you know, deep down, you may know that it's it's you, right? You're like, it's okay, it's this game. This game needs to be fixed or this game's just not going to be marketable in the in the way it is. But it's very easy to think, like, that sounds like a lot of work, right? And I've got, like, three new ideas that I could be working on instead uh, that might be less work. So, or, you know, I mean, so a great example is I- I've been working uh, with Jonathan Jonathan Chaffer. We've been working for quite a while now on a game a game that I originally was like, Hey, I want to make this small box game. I want to publish it. 2020 was like, you know, that was during 2020. And then all the shipping stuff got worse and all the prices and everything went up. And I was like, "Well, oh, maybe not. So then we've been trying to sell it as a licensed game and that hasn't worked. So we just kind of both just kind of stepped away and worked on other stuff. Um, and then now he just actually reached back out. Cause I had reached out a couple times and said, oh, I really do want to work on this again. Like, we just need to figure out what to do with it, and and he came back and was like, "Hey, I'm gonna have this. I'm gonna take this to Protospiel online and get it tested, because um, he was gonna go and he didn't have anything on his own that he specifically wanted to test. So, so yeah, so I'm recommitted with yeah. that want to say, okay, let's test it, see how it's going, and then let's get this thing sold, you know, because um, it's a really good game. We just really had a heart set on a very specific IP um, that is not attainable. So. Um, <laughs> I mean, we literally we talked to several mass market publishers who thought the game was cool and said, we're never going to get that IP. Um, (laughs) And so that's what happens, right? Um, uh, So so I I think it is easy. What I was saying was to just to just kind of check out of something then and say, I'm going to just do something else then, you know.
1: Yeah, and and going back to the, you know, pitching to European publishers, I guess one of the reasons why, you know, thinking back on it and, and you know, retrospective is, uh, the reason why I probably wasn't doing that is because if they are, uh, you know, interested in the game, you have to ship those prototypes. Yeah, you know, and that's not exactly to... cheap, right? <laughs> no, right. But, you know, it's obviously an investment kind of thing. But it's crazy how much, you know, shipping has changed in just the last five years since, you know, I started designing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I mean, just like a medium flat rate box at this point can be upwards of $60, $70 oh, uh, each. Yeah. Um, So it's it's and it's funny because a lot of my games, you know, I don't have a lot of components, but they still have enough components where they don't fit fit in a in a, Mm -hmm. you know, the small flat rate. Right,
0: right, uh, right. Which
1: is still like 40 something dollars. Um, Right, right. So it it is it is kind of funny going that extra mile, too, because, again, that means that you are definitely invested in, in that in your design.
0: Yeah, and you're like, hey, how about you? uh, How about you just print and play this, y'all? That'd be great.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, obviously, some they're they're more in tune with tabletop simulator and all the digital ways of playing Mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. Uh, And but sometimes if they do ask for for a physical one, you know, at the very least, you know, you hope that they're definitely gonna they they have the decency to try out your game because you've sent out a physical copy. which reminds me, I guess at this point, I'm at the one month mark where I should probably do some follow-ups.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, I think the other thing to remember too is that like, if you can do an online play test with them first to see if they like it, right? Like that's what we did with um, Perfectly Parceled because while I didn't mind sending a prototype out of that, like it takes a long time to 3D print that prototype, right? So I yeah. was like, all right, um, let's play it online. And if you like it, then I'll send you a physical and we played it and they were like, yeah, we want, we want to see this in person to, to really understand how it fits together. And I was like, done. So then I printed some extra stuff and sent it out. But like, it's, I mean, you know, your all of your prototypes take like 70 hours to build.
1: <laughs> well, give or take,
0: not, give you know, or take, yeah. you know,
1: some of them do for sure.
0: <laughs> so, you know what I'm excited about? I'm excited about the topic we're going to talk about tonight and i'm excited about it because i came up with it uh and i'm mostly just excited (laughs) because i came up with the topic because generally uh i'm like hey julio let's record and we record and and i'm like we need a topic and then you throw out a bunch of ideas and then i pick one um
1: yeah it was it's funny because you didn't even ask this time you just said this is the topic okay
0: yeah no i was like hey how about this and well i i felt like this topic was a this is the topic i'm really interested in and i felt like you were a very good designer to talk with this topic about because uh, it's something that is important in a lot of your designs. Um, and uh, and that is table presence. So uh, so we'll start with a quick definition of table presence, and at least in my definition of table presence. To me, table presence of a game is how does it feel? How does it look? What's the feeling you have when you look at a game on the table, right? Um, and I think that the table presence of a game, when you think of a classic card game or something, right? there's no real like the table presence on that is pretty low. Right. I mean, you've got yeah. hands of cards and stuff. Um, but when you're talking about maybe, board games, maybe, maybe Robert, right, right? when you're talking about board games, where you are using more components, um, you're, you know, you're laying things out on the table. That's where you start to really think about what is the table presence of this game and, and what does it do? And I really, really like games that have a strong, interesting table presence like that for me is a big deal um and when i'm designing something outside of just a uh outside of just a card game which i've known to design um i like table presence that said it is still something i think about even in the card games i've designed and i think that's fairly evident in most of the card games i've designed that you're interacting with the cards in a way that looks interesting on the table um so it's very important to me I've bought way too many games based on table presence and been incorrect about whether I was going to like them,
1: <laughs> yeah. but
0: darn, they look good on the table. So,
1: yeah, and that's definitely a, a double edged sword because when I started designing, I never really started my designs based off, "Oh, this is gonna look so cool." Um, yeah, so objective... many of your
0: designs do look cool. That's what I don't understand well, about that.
1: <laughs> that just uh, my my thinking behind it was essentially, how do I incorporate uh, a verticality in this case to my earlier Mm -hmm. designs into the design so it makes sense? It wasn't just anything that just looked cool. I wanted to make it matter. Um, Interesting. Interesting. And I think that that is important because to the things you just said, uh, you know, they bring you in, table presses brings people in, but then... Can't, does the game back that it that initial experience that excitement? Uh, it sets a high bar in its own mm-hmm. sense, right? Um, so when let, you know, let's talk about you know, Holy. Um, when I designed that game, I I originally didn't didn't design it as it ori- you know ultimately came out with these three stack boards. I ori- originally had it uh, as a stepped uh, mm-hmm. board, yep. so it was like table. And you played that version, right? Yeah, that's, that's how the version met. I
0: played. Yeah, the table. Um,
1: table insert and box, which, yep. you know, setup time was much shorter. Uh, but I guess maybe the the puzzly element of things falling to a lower levels was a little harder to comprehend. Um, but I do think it, it was kind of like a balancing act there because obviously it incorporated the verticality of, okay, this up here, if it's not supported by a level below, it falls down. And it, it it kind of represented what I was trying to do using the physical components there. In this case, mm-hmm. you know, it was the box. And the one thing that builders out there, if you've known me for a while, I, I a lot of the games I designed use the box. And none of my games that have come out use the box because I guess people don't like that or something along those lines. I guess I haven't cracked that egg yet. Uh, <laughs> um, but essentially... The, the publisher decided to go that direction of of making it okay. Let's let's do it completely vertical, and it did help the puzzle element. But I think mm-hmm. it did hurt other factors. For example, the setup of the game right, you have right. to construct this this tower and then deconstruct every time you play. Um and and at that point you're you're thinking, okay, is the is the juice worth the squeeze? Right, right,
0: right. I completely agree with you that table presence. For the sake of having a big fancy game is wasted, right? Um, I think that is something that we see in some games. Like, so I'll give a great example, I think, of wasted table presence. Um, and I and yet I still desperately back when I was playing Settlers of Catan like a ton when I first was into games, I desperately wanted the 3D version of Settlers of Catan, right? Like it's Mm. sexy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like it's really cool looking, but it's completely unnecessary and wasted. Right. It's just to make it look cool. Um, whereas, you know, when you look at a game, you know, like, you know, Holy is a good example. I know you said there's an extra setup in that, but what you get out of that is you get an understanding of how the game works based on those three levels. Right. And I, I think that that is important. Um, one of the compliments I've always received for into the black forest is that's just a card game and it's a trick taking game, but the way that you lay the center card out that all the tricks are played around makes it very easy to teach and remember how the tricks of each hand are played. Right. Cause essentially yeah. you're playing four tricks per hand or per t- per turn, which seems like a lot. Right. I mean, like that feels like when you first tell people that they're like, Oh, and then when you lay the card out in the center of the table and you orientate it the correct way, and then you show them how they play around that. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I got that. That makes total sense, right? Um, so so I love that about it. That really, um, it helps to teach people, you know. And so that nice looking feeling you get of looking at the board and, and how it works, or the, the cards and how they work, also helps you play the game, right?
1: Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, think I think incorporating that, it, for sure, yeah. into the gameplay is important.
0: Yeah. Um a, a game that I, I talked about recently that I, I picked up at Gen Con. Um, um and it wasn't this wasn't what made me think of it. But when I was I was talking to my wife and actually my kids, I was like, what do you think about games with like good table presents? Of course they were like, What what's that? Um <laughs> I was like, Well, like games that look fun on the table or look cooler have something important about them. And and one of our favorite games right now is Block Ness, um, which is a great pun yeah. for a name. Mm-hmm. Um And that table presence on that game is amazing. And, and uh, I don't know if you've seen, but like, so it's a box. You use the box as the game. And then the insert that sits inside the box is just a punch board with all these holes in it. Um, spaced in a certain way. But if you lift that up, that's where all the pieces go. So like literally you dump the pieces out, set that back down and you are ready to play. So there's no setup for the game. The only components are the snake or the monster pieces and um, and the box and the rules. And like because of that, it just looks really clean, but it also has that verticality and that, you know, interplay between the pieces that I mean, I walked past that at Gen Con. I was like, I have to buy this game like it was that simple, like and I'm glad that it turned out to be good uh, because like I, I knew I was going to buy it, <laughs> but it was only 20 bucks too. Um, wow, so,
1: really? yeah, bucks?
0: I mean, that's what blue orange can do, right. Is they can print yeah. a ton of plastic pieces and, in a box and, uh, and make it 20 bucks, which is a pretty good deal. Um, so yeah, I, I like that about that game. Um, and I also feel like it does help with the teach, right? Like when you set that game up, it's like, oh, okay. Like this is pretty easy to understand how this, how this flows,
1: um, but it it had it has really shown how much the board game industry has has grown in you know i guess 40 years that it's kind of been you know growing i guess Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um because it's not really about you used to be if you had a cool miniature uh and it still is to some extent right Mm -hmm. um you know that's what brought people in were interested in they want to get the big miniature um and now there's definitely more uh, consideration into other elements because mm-hmm. I, I know um, I remember there was a game. I think it was Barker's Row that uh, essentially had this little standee of where you put your uh, some uh, audience members or something. And they were like stepped like a, I, I guess because that was the audience for a circus mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and they were stepped in three levels. And that was just where you put them. But that was it. It was just so it, it looked good. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, that kind of thing, people appreciate it. It brings people to the table. But then mm-hmm. when they're thinking more about it, they're like, why is this here? Um, why do I right, have to right. have it? I mean, it looks good and all, but, but I want it to do something. And that's, right. you know, as you, you know, mature and grow, you want to have more in, in some cases bang for your buck yeah. more uh, you know bang for uh, yeah, the experience um, mm-hmm. and and that is something that we have to think about as as designers um, especially with uh, so many, themes that have been overused and at some in some cases the theme was kind of the table presence right uh, either the you know colorful nature of the game mm-hmm. or or the you know all, everything going on and lo- the greedy feel I don't know, post-apocalyptic or, or zombies or something like that mm-hmm. that you know brought people in. And that's not enough anymore. And that's, right. you know, more right. on the theme side of things, not on the physical nature. But we're talking about table presence, right? So that encompasses many, many elements. Um, so I, I guess uh, as a you know, from a designer's perspective, it is hard to think about how to approach it. Because uh-huh. for you now, let's use another one of my games, control. Um and control is is just a plastics game and you have this cube and you're using smaller cubes and connecting to these cubes and it grows the board. The board is the cube essentially. Right. Um, and I, I thought of that game as, as essentially a, a, an exercise in engineering, kind of how do, how do we grow uh, something organically in a 3d mm-hmm. perspective and ultimately score it uh, three-dimensionally, which was right. great and all. Right. But then um and you know, I've I've never really been too happy about how the game was manufactured, because uh, I don't know who who has played it, but the pieces that ultimately were part of that game, uh, they didn't stick well to the right to, right. to the main cube, um, and that was essentially, you know, that's how you make it or break it when there's nothing else in the experience, right? Mm-hmm. And if you if the pieces don't allow you to play the game, or at least make it difficult um then then that's another thing that that at least on the designer side in this case the publisher side has to be considered right Mm -hmm. um if you have something that's going to be essential to your game and it brings table presence and brings people to the table make sure you know it works Mm -hmm. uh and because imagine in blockness if if these you know the snakes or dragons or the monsters don't don't stick well to the box thing and they just absolutely
0: game would have been garbage. Like, there would have been no way to play it, right? I mean, that's literally the entire game. Um
1: Yeah, so think... so there Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to change the subject slightly, so...
1: <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's just that that kind of thing is, is I think, one of the double-edged swords part of, mm-hmm. of the table presence as a way to design your games, uh, e- even when they are part of the gameplay. And one of the reasons why probably publishers are a little hesitant uh, about, you know, trying to make games like these. Uh, and, and honestly, it has been hard for me to, and why I've stepped away from it somewhat, um, I guess the three-dimensionality, uh, because not a lot of people are, are comfortable dealing with, with something like that because it does involve a big investment. Uh, mm-hmm. And then if it, it can make or break a company, especially, uh, you know, medium or obviously smaller size publisher.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah no i agree so i wanted to give three examples that popped into my head of games that i think have good table presence two where the functionality is wonderful and justified and one where it's not um and they're not all mass market games but they're big company games right so the first is taverns of tiefintal which is one of my favorite games but like the table presence on that is is simple but great so like they you know your bar is basically a tableau made up of a bunch of different pieces that fit really nicely together and then when you upgrade those pieces you just flip them over right and then slide them right back in and like that it makes the game easy to remember like to how to upgrade things right so it it enhances the teach of the game it enhances the play makes it simpler and it looks nice right to me that's like quintessentially good table presence for the for the good reason The next one is Potion Explosion. Um, And I like Potion Explosion. I didn't like having to build the big stupid thing. Like I wish that had just come set. But the biggest thing I'll give to that game is the table presence of that game is amazing, right? You've got the marbles and stuff that comes down. But I think what the key to that is, that was table presence 100% out of necessity, right? Because that game is not functional. I mean, they essentially made a video game into a cardboard thing that you could play with marbles because i mean essentially it's bejeweled right i mean that's really what the game is except for you're making potions with with the jewels that you're collecting um so that was kind of a necessity one and then the third one they did it to be clever and this is probably the biggest mass market one of them uh, and that was super mario level up and i don't know if you've ever played that before um my kids love it um I, I haven't played the, it, but I
1: think I I, I know which one you. It's like steps, right?
0: Yeah. So it's like a big like steps up, um. So that your Mario characters and they have you know little cardboard standees. Everything is beautiful. the 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 step thing is beautiful. Um. But here's the problem: you have to build it every time you play it, which is a huge pain. At least for the potion explosion, I will give them the credit that once you build it, it fits in the box. You never have to take it apart again, which was smart. Yeah, that's good. Um. But the mario game is non-functional when it comes to the table presence i bought that game because it looked cool and i like super mario um yeah and and, yeah and my kids love to play it love to play it (laughs) and i want to love to play it but i have to because the gameplay is not bad i mean it's nothing like super inventive um but it's not bad Mm -hmm. um it's not not fun you know (laughs) it's just it's a pain in the butt um, as you jump up, constantly you're gonna be knocking things down because they chose to make these lips to try like lips over the edge of like the each step to make it look yep. more like Mario, which is cool, except for it doesn't work. Instead, the character's standee basis catch on it, and then like you got like kids doing that, right? They everything goes flying. Um, there's little cardboard cutout pieces that are supposed to be neat for like the the question mark blocks, they're too small. Um, so like essentially they took a neat idea and tried to make it easier to teach, which I'll give them the teaches there, right? Like it's about leveling up. So they made it a vertical thing. You could do smart, everything else about it. It just doesn't, it just makes the game harder to play. Um, yeah. But I'm sure that it sold thousands of copies just based on that alone. Just the look of it. Right. Um, and the IP. Yeah. I mean, there's and the not IP, a lot right?
1: of right. Mario board games out there.
0: Right. Sure. Right. Um, no, it's a very hard IP to get. Very hard.
1: <laughs> um,
0: so, uh, but, anyways. Um, so, so, yeah, to, those are on, three on examples. One,
1: what? The, I'm going to say my three then because uh, yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a good exercise. So, uh, number number one, one that does some good table presence and it, it is just a great way to do it was um, Ice Cool. Uh, oh yeah uh, mm-hmm. brain yep. games you know that game is inventive all the way around and of course it, it won the can- the kinder spiel Jahres at the mm-hmm. time uh but but in that one you're you have a, this rectangular box it looks fairly narrow uh, narrow and and not too tall i guess but inside there's like five different size boxes there inside. is it's so weird um, and and you essentially take them all out and you make a, a a board out of it and makes this school and you're essentially flicking these pieces that are also very invented. They're like this, you know. I guess what do you call them? The the uh, clown kind of inflatables that they're weighted on the bottom, so they kind of stand right. up. Yep, kind of yep. thing but they're the penguins and of course that whole game it, it worked really well uh because of of the way they did that and ultimately you think about it is that's all that's all the components and then a couple mm-hmm. of cards. Um, and
0: setup is not nearly as hard as you think because they they made the boxes very smartly with symbols so that you know how to set them up it really yeah, yeah, does yeah, the setup and- is way faster than it has any right to be for how many boxes you have to attach very specifically
1: yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, so, so that is one that I, I definitely enjoyed how, how it was. And now it is some, I guess I kind of went uh, out of um order. So this one is one okay. that it could, it could have probably been uh you know, a flat box with, you know, some edges on the, and, and go from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, but I think the setup would have been a lot harder and stuff like that. So it was invented to get there mm-hmm. now one that and I may just be talking about dexterity games here
0: but um, that's all right
1: one they have a that, lot of those uh,
0: have table presents
1: yeah yeah and and I think that's one of the reasons why people are drawn to them right mm-hmm. uh, so, Absolutely. so you know uh, coconuts is is I guess the one that is it's you know extremely necessary yep. because you've got cups and you've got these catapults that mm-hmm. you, that the, the monkeys and you're trying to get them and just that that piece of the of the monkey, because that catapult, whoever, you know, made it and, 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 and manufactured it, it was perfect because that could have gone, you know, either too strong and you had to be looking for these coconuts all around mm-hmm. or or not strong enough or the, the angle of the catapult would be all over the place. So that, you know, that is one thing that it may have been designed well or it may have just been dumb luck, but. It, it, it is one that I could not see that game happening without that, uh, component for sure.
0: Absolutely not. Nope. Yep. You're cr- totally correct. Completely agree.
1: Um, and then, uh, one that I enjoy, uh, is, uh, planet from board mm-hmm. as well. Yep. And, and that one, I think, you know, it, it was done well and I think it contributes to the gameplay, but ultimately I honestly, it may not have needed that. Um, uh, I, I think it does because it it has to go around the world. Essentially, in this game, you have the uh, dodecahedron uh, that's uh, magnetic, and you mm-hmm. use magnetic tiles and stick it to the faces to make a, a planet. Um, and ultimately, you could have you could could have done that with just placing tiles on a flat board, mm-hmm. uh, right? But this kind of you know made it a little poss- possible, but it sometimes gets in the way uh, of itself, but maybe it's not the best example of a bad one. Um, I guess I already talked about Barker's role uh regarding being a bad one. And honestly, um, if a game has, you know, miniatures and stuff like that, I got nothing against it. But it does in- contribute to the experience of players, and that's good, right? Um, right. And, like, I know you love Marvel United. Um, now, what would be your experience if, if the if the miniatures weren't there, I guess I
0: would have bought the game with standees. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if it had just, they, I mean, so that's a game where, um, miniatures were not necessary, which I mean, frankly, I mean, Simon could stand for like miniatures, not necessary, but we put them in anyways. Um, and I'm not even dogging Simon for that. People love miniatures. I love miniatures. Um, Marvel United wouldn't have sold half as well. If it had just been like colorful standees, I would have still loved it because I, I yeah. would have you, the trade-off would have been that you had really cool poses of your characters, you know, and stuff like that. Like in the colorful standees would have dropped the price a lot. um <laughs> But, <laughs> but I think that like, you know, you needed something 3d and tactile honestly, because of the how big the board is trying to do it with like little tokens. It just wouldn't have been as functional, but miniatures were definitely a step higher than they needed to go. Uh, but I mean, that's, I mean, literally they stand for cool mini or not right i mean like that they zombie side is a great example of a game that never would have been any on anyone's radar if it had not been for big and crazy miniatures right like that's Mm -hmm. what got people excited i'm not even saying it's not a good game i'm just saying that's what made people super jazzed about it was all these crazy miniatures and stuff
1: that is something that they definitely have in common is that they are good games right Mm-hmm. i mean we can definitely mention a lot of games that are great games by themselves and the miniatures are just the frosting on top right mm-hmm. um and now can how many can you mention that you know has miniatures and you don't know anything, the game is not good right there's probably a lot of those probably 90 mm-hmm. percent of the yeah. miniatures yeah. Games out there um and again i'm I'm, is, I'm not the audience for that so somebody may correct me there and say that all miniatures games are awesome but Well, I mean, I don't think
0: anyone would say that. I mean, because there are some (laughs) duds of every type of game. But, I mean, I think that, you know, so miniatures for the sake of miniatures, on one hand, yes, it is table presence for the sake of table presence, right? For the sake of selling copies. But also, I get that, like, miniatures are their own subgenre, right, of board games, like, right? And people are excited about that. It's not just like if you were building a game that was 3D uh, with a big crazy table presence just because you wanted to sell more copies of it and literally it does nothing at all for the game, right? Like games with miniatures and or standees, it does something for the game a lot of times. And then it makes it a little easier to see what's happening on a crowded field. It makes it easier to play. But, I, I mean, I'm not making excuses for the fact that, yes, miniatures in general are a way to make the game sell more and to charge more for it. And companies got to make money. That's that's totally fine. Um, I mean, like, look at CMON. They were like, hey, so Zombicide Super is like a license to print money. Marvel United, license to print money. You know what we should do? Marvel Zombies. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, like, they're not dumb. They know what they're doing. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, ultimately, uh, as a company, you know, you, you, you give your audience what they want. Um, and if people are paying for, they're going to keep making it that way. So there's nothing wrong with that, obviously now as designers, especially, you know, us new in the industry, uh, or, you know, people that have been here a while, we always are trying to some sense, uh, you know, reinvent what's, I guess not reinvent, um, Invent something new, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, being innovative, uh, breaking the boundaries of what's out there, do something different, because that's how you stand out, right? Um, you mm-hmm. kind of use that that to use that your your design table presence to to stand out as a designer, right? And that's right, something right. that I think helped me a lot, you know, is, you know, starting up as as a new designer, um, and and now the problem with that is that. Even if you get your game signed and published, it it may still, you know, put put some people off because of it. So not everybody is all about the table presence or I guess the three-dimensionality in games mm-hmm. and somebody else may do it better next time around. That's usually how it is with mechanisms, right, right? Right. Somebody does something new in a mechanism and it does okay and then somebody does it better and it does bonkers, Right, right. right. Um, which is fine, right? But it is interesting because as a designer, and this is probably another topic that we can talk more in length of in the future. But it is funny as a new as a designer when you already use a, a mechanism or invent something new, innovative. You kind of are hesitant to use that in a future game, even though you're the one that kind of brought it up first.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Lest you so, be like, you know. Um... It, It is super odd because
1: we hear all the time about, oh, yeah, I like that mechanism in this game. I'm going to use it for my game. Right. But there's a really cool mechanism that you use on a game that, uh, obviously, if it already came out, you don't want to be, oh, that's the guy that does this mechanism. But, hey, if it's something awesome that you want to use again, then why not, right?
0: I mean, I don't know. Is it Mike Elliott made, like, a whole, like, career on Rummy games? So
1: I'm not (laughs) saying
0: that's bad. I'm just saying, like, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can find something you like and run with it. One thing I do yeah. want to throw out, though, but I think before we're before we're done with the topic here, I think is important is is we're talking about like good table presence and table presence for the sake of table presence and why that's bad. But but I think we should also talk about bad table presence, like like games that are just have. And we don't even have to mention games. I'm not looking to like call out a bunch <laughs> of games for bad table presence, but like. I know this has happened to me a lot where I walk up to a game and what I see from, I've never played this game before. I walk up and it's set up. And what I see is, is chaos. I don't see, like, I just see bits (laughs) everywhere. Like, and I think, nope, like, I'm not, I don't want to learn that. It looks like too much. Um, And if the game had better table presence, and was organized. Like, I think Taverns of Tiefenthal, again, one of my favorite games, if they didn't do it the way they did, that could be a game that you'd look at and be like, ah. Yeah. You know, um, a a Marvel United, even, that's dead simple. If it wasn't organized in the way that it is, if you looked at that, you'd be like, there's so many pieces. You would expect a much heavier game than what you're getting. Um, and I know that there are Euro lovers out there who are probably like, yeah, I like when I just sit and there's like thousands of components and like, um, but I think that that big messy table presence can be just too much. Um, if it's organized cast or, or games where like, it's a card game, but like your cards are spread out. Like you have to have this pile and this and this and this, and like, it just becomes too much, um, It takes up so much real estate for a small game. That feels weird. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are. I
1: I, I agree with that. I mean, um, I'm definitely not the kind of person that is is drawn to uh, complex games or just games that those kind of games don't appeal to me. Uh, But I can see why it can definitely put people off, even though there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of pieces and uh, it may have a table presence like you said, but it may be. I, I can see why you say it's bad table presses. Now, um it, it it is interesting. I I, I did I, I I'm hesitant to talk about this because there are probably a lot of fans here, but I um I did buy a copy of uh Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. Um it was like twenty dollars on Amazon at some point and I was able to oh, snag one. Wow. Yeah, I mean and obviously it's a, a very popular game. Um and this may not have to do anything with table presence, but you just talking about so many pieces and stuff like that. And that mm-hmm. game, they did, so, they did so well on, on introducing all the mechanisms as you play the game. You essentially like the first five scenarios of 25 are introduction to the game, but it was definitely one of those things that there was, there was a I I feel like there wasn't enough going on to, to back up everything that was out there. Um, you know, it, it, and, and that may also be uh, another thing where, okay, there, this looks great. It looks clean, some good table presence, but then I'm doing so much, but I'm feeling that I'm accomplishing so little um, in a game like this. And again, it may not have to do with table presence, but I kind of came to mind because even if a game does look good on the table, it does bring people, it is organized, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. it may still not be for you um that's well, a good point yeah right? i mean
0: people get super jazzed about gloomhaven i mean that's like a cult following that game has i don't mean that in a negative way i just mean like it's like like you know it's a thing right i mean i'm cultish about marvel united so like um i can't uh yeah i can't <laughs> i can't complain <laughs> um but but yeah i i do think that um it's not you know that table presence isn't for everyone in that in that case there so yeah
1: yeah and Ultimately, I mean, table presence, it it is something that shouldn't, you know, it could be your starting point for a design, but Mm -hmm. you you just want to make a a good game, right? You want to design a good game. And a lot of times you sometimes don't even have an option if that table presence is going to come up in your design, because once you sell it to a publisher, they may go a different direction with it and they may do right by it or, or they may make some mistakes along the way. Um, but if you do incorporate that table presence into the design where, like you said, it is essential to it, it may be a double-edged sword of where it's going to be hard to sell because not everybody can do it, or right. uh, it's going to be something that it's going to stay and, and it's going to be worth it at the end. But, um, I mean, it, there's there's so many other things that you can talk about re- regarding this, but I think we covered a, a good chunk of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like, I just want to throw in one note about designing from the the standpoint of table presence. Like I do that sometimes. Um, but I'll say that in general, like my more successful designs, you know, that, that are more likely to be sold have never been designed or have been sold. I don't think like, I don't, none of them have been designed like from scratch, like as in saying like, it would look cool if I did this. Now, that's not to say I haven't done that. None of those games have been signed so far. Now, you know, perfectly parceled, we're shopping around, and that game was 100% di- designed from a table presence standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, But that's because the inspiration for the game was table presence, right? Like it was, I saw this, this drawing and thought, whoa, this would look really good on a table. Like... And it would be very fulfilling. And we made the game from that was our starting point. But the game had to grow from there. In fact, the original ideas we had for the game were that it was going to be more like a planet style game where you were putting more pieces like on either a full like globe or like half of a globe, right? Like mm-hmm. sitting on the table. Um, and that didn't work out. Like it was just going to be too much of a pain. So we just said, no, let's not do that. Right. Um So I think you have to be willing to make those changes. Um, But I do think that any game you're designing where you're going to have pieces interacting on a table um, in a way that's not super straightforward, um, that it is worth considering the table presence of your game um, for better or worse and and what that's going to do to players and will it make it easier or harder for them uh, first and foremost. And then I think it's good to look and say, does this look nice on the table like would this attract people right you do it with artwork you say oh i want really good artwork for this i want good graphic design i think it's okay to say that um but doing that just to do that might get you in trouble and a lot of bad reviews on bgg (laughs) this game (laughs) looks great but boy it sucks
1: yeah and and on the other side of that um is it necessary Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It it looks good, but can I do it a simpler way? You know, as a publisher, you would think of that from a manufacturing standpoint. Right. Um, I mean, is there an easier way to do it that even makes gameplay easier or understanding the game easier? Um, So there's 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 always the consideration of can I reduce that table presence and, and get a better experience because of it? Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So reducing components and table presence can also be a way to make the game cleaner for sure. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I do have something to talk about regarding a pitch sure. and this may be a game that I already pitched in the past, but there's been some development in the last couple of days. Awesome. And this is some, something, um, it's, it's, it, I saw it as a learning opportunity and as a fun opportunity as well. So, I know that you've had Mike and Grace from Tabletop Mentorship on the show. Yep. Um, and I think they have men- may have mentioned it, but they're actually in Asheville. Um, and- yes,
0: yes. They moved to the dark side, Asheville, where all these
1: <laughs> G-Dog people are. Yep, yep. So <laughs> uh, Mike uh, actually works at Well Played um, as well, and that's one of our board game cafes here in Asheville, and and he offered to, you know, host us for our weekly, uh, I guess, bi-weekly meetings, uh, which we have been doing for a couple of months now, and it's been going great. I got to say, we've had at least 10 people every time, um, which is huge. How many of them wear the
0: t-shirts, though, Julio? How many of them wear the (laughs) t-shirts?
1: Well, so far, uh, maybe, I think, three or four.
0: Just you, Um, right?
1: But that's the thing. I haven't even been to a lot of them because of the baby and all that. So oh, of course, it's been of course. running really well. We've got some great members uh, that have been running it. Um, but we now have regulars as well that are joining uh, G-Dunk. But going back to Mike and Grace, they did something very interesting last year. They they did uh, like a seven-day Kickstarter of handma- a handmade game called Shimmer mm-hmm. uh, yep. Treat, The Aftermath. Yep. Um, and it was just something that they wanted to do and, and, you know, learn the ropes of Kickstarter and and at the very least break even on this project. And it was a run, right? You know, not a lot of components. So talking about table presence doesn't really affect it there. Uh, but I went to the last uh, the last meeting and, you know, I brought a game that I just made some changes on. Um, and then I play tested Mike's game. Which is a game that that he was considering to do another one of these kickstarters for Halloween,
0: um, mm-hmm.
1: and, and but he was he was like you know I'm I'm not gonna be able to do it with this game because it's not there yet. He obviously doesn't want to do it just because of it. He wants to have a solid fun game, yeah. Uh, of course. On this um, for the Kickstarter, so he said something along the lines: "We still want to do something, but we need." We need something simple, you know, like maybe something components only or something like that that we can we can kickstart and do something handmade and and that just kind of light lighted my bulb and I thought about my game um, Sheep Sheep Rescue and that was the the winner of the How About Design Contest back in oh yeah yeah
0: yeah I remember that one that's what I thought you were talking about.
1: Yeah, that's that's the uh, micro dexterity game for those builders that don't know. Uh, it was a game that just used 10 components and and the, the game played on on any surface, any table. Uh, and it was a one versus many game, a lion versus sheep. Um, and I just started talking with Mike about it. Um, and I said, you know, I have this game. Uh, you said components only. Can this be something? And you started talking and workshopping kind of what it could be, especially related to Halloween. And we came up with something cool that we may ultimately uh do a uh uh Halloween Kickstarter for That's like this great. year.
0: That
1: sounds fun. <laughs> so are you so, gonna tell me about the game then? I
0: mean, a little bit. Yes. Tell them, I, I I remember the game specifically because I remember the inventive way you were using the um the components. So yes,
1: yeah. yes. I will, and the reason for that is because this is probably the 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 exclusive that you're gonna get because it may soon be on kickstarter in, in a month or so because the whole point of these small kickstarters is that it's limited copies they're all handmade and they will be kickstarted in october and and people will have it before halloween um and also they will include candy as part of the oh. <laughs> delivery nice. so I'm the cool in. thing is that it's uh, so the the game, and we were talking about names, so it may change, but I, I suggested Tricky Treats as <laughs> as the as the name for the game, and in this mm-hmm. one, uh, it, again, it's the same game, one versus many, where one player is the ghost, and the and other four players, you know, two to uh, one to four players, are are children mm-hmm. and dressed as whatever they're dressed of, uh, and you're tasked with collecting candy before the ghost gets you so you got to collect all the candy on the table before the ghost Mm -hmm. gets you so in the game essentially you use this wheel and all the players and ghost characters are represented by these wooden pieces Uh, and i I know as i am speaking i have a ghost piece that i designed myself uh, and i'm 3d printing so um essentially i use this wheel piece that it used essentially the, the uh, kinetic um, friction and static mm-hmm. friction as a method of movement. So for the players, it would essentially, when you push it with the wheel, it slides the players across the table. And mm-hmm. with the ghost, you, you hit it and it gives it support and it breaks the player's movement. So you're trying to essentially collect the candy before the ghost hits, you know, collects you. Right, uh, right, So it is a player elimination. It plays in less than 10 minutes. And instead of using, like, any uh, printed pieces, we're going to be using the candy that you're going to be collecting. So you have a couple pieces of candy that you put on the table, and that's what you have to collect. And, of course, if you collect it, you get to eat it. <laughs> nice. And nice. if the ghost player collects, you know, wins the game, they get all the leftover candy for themselves.
0: And so what are the components, then, that get...
1: So, so what we're thinking about is essentially uh, I've designed the the pieces and we're going to be 3D printing these. And it's going to be probably, I think, six to ten plastic pieces that yeah. will be each, on each game. And there's no box or anything. It's, it's just going to be sent with the rules and candy. Uh, and, and that's going to be the game. Um, and, again, it's going to be very limited. It depends on how, much, how many we can print um, before before uh you know the delivery date um but but that's that's it it's just a micro dexterity game
0: that sounds like fun sounds like a lot of fun yeah
1: yeah and and i that's what you know talking with mike and i was so excited because um i am kind of thinking you know along the lines of doing some some crowdfunding stuff for some simple games in the future again mm-hmm. i'm just thinking about it but this is a good way to dip my toes into it especially because i know it can be it can be done because they've already done it um and it is simple enough where you know you're not dealing with manufacturers or anything you just have to of course make it yourself and ship it which it's not simple but it it does kind of it's a way to learn about the process and i you know i always take any opportunity to learn and and other people that have, have experience, you know, learn from their experience as well.
0: Very cool. That sounds so, lot. Cool.
1: So builders out there, if you see during October, you see a Kickstarter for Tricky Treats, check it out and, and and back it.
0: Yeah, do that. Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, thanks for coming on tonight and uh having this awesome chat about uh table presents and talking about tricky treats. This is gonna be cool. <laughs> Uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed hanging out with us tonight and uh, the topic we talked about. I'm sure you did because it was great. Let's be honest. It was good poly- good quality podcast content. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, of course, you can go to buildingthegamepodcast.com. There you can find a uh, link to our Discord. You can email us at buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on the Twitter at PodcastPTG at J.A. Slingerland at Hoonisaru. You can also, of course, um, come back Every single week. Listen to us, have a great time with us. I hope you do. But until next time, good night. Buenas noches. Building the game, building the game, which isn't in friends, which isn't in friends. Building the game, building the game, which isn't in friends, which isn't in friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.